We offer in the young Israel of Kew Garden Hills. And I was chosen to be the youth rabbi. And I spoke. I spoke about Kriyas Yamsuf, Hayam Vayonos, Vayonas Vayete Hachutza, the words of Chazal. And after I finished my drasha, Rabbi Schoenfeld ran after me and spoke to my father, Sichron Levracha, and said, your son is going to be a Rav Yisrael. He's going to be a Rav. He predicted it. In order to appreciate the greatness of Rabbi Fabian Schoenfeld, one must appreciate the times in which he lived the circumstances in which he came to his critical position as a rabbi in our shul, the young Israel, and some of his personal background. Rabbi Schoenfeld grew up in Vienna. His father, Zichron Levrach, whom I remember, worked for the Agudas Israel World Organization, which was sent into Vienna at the time. And there he was privileged to meet Gedole Yisrael, who came, who came to, to Vienna in a, an amazing interview, which I was heard for the first time just now, with some anonymous interviewer, who asked about Rabbi Schoenfeld's connection to Rabbi Aaron Kutler Zatzal, turns out that he had met him in Vienna, I believe in 1937, when Rabbi Schoenfeld was a young man. And he grew up in his father's home. His father was a Gera Chassid. Thankfully, the family escaped Vienna in time and moved to England, to London. In London, Rabbi Schoenfeld got married. His wife's family was Jacobowitz. Her father, I believe, was a, a major Talmud Chacham. was blessed with two daughters. And he taught there's a remarkable interview which is printed and the Queen's Jewish Link, done in 2017. And there, in the first segment, he says that he taught Chumash, Gemara, French, Latin, Greek. He studied in the University of London, and he was even a rub in a small little shul. Came to America, and improbably landed in 1950 in Kew Garden Hills. How so? Because his father lived there. His father lived an address I recognize diagonally across from the young Israel of Kew Garden Hills major building, which of course didn't exist at the time. Directly across, which is from now is YCQ, which of course didn't exist at the time. And that's where he moved in. 
Unfortunately, his mother passed away. And he and his wife and two daughters moved in with his father. And what did he do? Came to Wayu. Came to learn with the Rav. With the Rav Salavechik. Zechron Levracha. For three years, he learned with the Rav. How did he support himself? With little jobs. I never knew this till I saw this interview. He taught in Zichron Moshe, which was Rav Gorelik's yeshiva in the Bronx, amazingly. Later he taught in a Hebrew school in Temple Israel in Great Neck. Not an Orthodox synagogue. It's, for those who know, it's the three synagogues in a row in Great Neck, Orthodox conservative and reform. Rav Moshe is a tshuva. It's a good idea to teach in even a non-Orthodox school if you're able to teach proper Yiddishkeit. That's where we had a, a second position to make a few dollars. And amazingly, I was shocked to read this in the interview. When he had to say Kaddish for his mother, it was 1950, 51, there was no daily minion, believe it or not, except for the Jewish center of Kew Garden Hills. The Jewish center of Kew Garden Hills was a conservative congregation, which was led by a personally observant rabbi, and I remember Rabbi Kirschblum, whose brother was the head of the Mizrahi at the time, the leading Orthodox Zionist organization. And he, for some reason, he, he was, took that position. And Rabbi Schoenfeld, despite strong ideological differences, maintained a proper personal relationship with him. And that's what had a minion. I assume at that time, the, when they died during the week, there was no problem. The Mechitza, I assume, was an all-men's minion. I'm not sure, maybe it met in a separate build, separate room. I presume I'd never been in that building. Passed it many times. Still there on Main Street. And that's what happened. On Shabbos, there was one shtibel. Rabbi Galerant had shtibel. I remember the shtibel well. Rabbi Galerant had a shtibel, and that's what they used to have it on, on Shabbos. They had about 20 people. And in 1951... One of the Balabatim said to the rabbi, Rabbi Shofel, as a young man, let's start a young Israel. As Rabbi Shofel pointed out in, his, in that very same interview, <laughs> we don't understand it fully today, that at that point in time, at that point in time, the Young Israel Movement, National Council, was a very, very important movement. And Young Israels were starting up in many different places. And this is what was going to be done. Very, very important. But who's going to do it? There were only a, a dozen people or so. So they started a shul in the basement of Nat and Mary Saperstein. I remember distinctly his family very well. They lived on 69th Road. And I lived on 69th Road. Just uh, two blocks down. They lived on one side of Main Street. I was the other side of block on there from Main Street. And in their basement, they started a shul with about a, just, a little, just a little over a million. At that point in time, the conservatives were in the ascendancy and orthodoxy was fighting for its life. This is 1951. <laughs> the proof is they couldn't pay the rabbi. The rabbi was an unpaid rabbi. An unpaid rabbi. 
I moved into the community with my parents, of course, in 1958. So what happened in those seven years between 1951 and 1958? Can't tell you all that happened, but I know one thing. They built a huge cavernous building where it still stands, the corner of 150th and 70th Road. When my parents moved from Brooklyn to Queens, they wanted to be near a young Israel shul. We belonged to an early young Israel in Prospect Park. And they bought a house around the corner from the young Israel of Kew Garden Hills. And the presumption is we would dive in there. In the interim, the Schoenfels were blessed with a son and a daughter. Their son was named Yoel Shalita after I believe the grandfather of the big Talmud Chacham, but he also was called Yitzchak Meir after the Chidush Yerim, the Gera Rebbe, because Rabbi Shonfa had strong Gera roots, as I had mentioned. And before I go on, I believe it's important to recognize the Young Israel movement. It's a very important thing. What does it mean Young Israel. What, what do the words mean? It's now, it's now what it used to be, as Rabbi Shofar said repeatedly in those, in those interviews. I'd like to dwell for a moment on the words of the Svarno at the very beginning of Parashat Shmos. The Svarno points out that the 12 sons of Yaakov are mentioned by name, whereas the grandsons who are mentioned in Vayigash are not repeated. And the Sforno explains that the 12 sons of Yaakov was so great, was so luminous, that as long as they were alive, they protected the entire generation. I'll read you the words briefly, what the Sforno says at the very beginning of Sefer Shvos. Sforno writes as follows. Their names are mentioned by name. They were all outstanding personalities. They were luminaries as long as they lived. The generation did not stray. After they passed away, their sons, the next generation, were not as important. They were important. Not as important, not in the eyes of Hashem, nor in the eyes of the people. And therefore, what happened when they were alive, they still had a, a positive impact on their community. As long as they were alive, all those 70 who came down, they were still kept them somewhat in check. But unfortunately, after they passed away, all 70 died. It's an interesting play of the word. So this is the Sforno's understanding. If you think about it for a minute, we don't know any names of any Jews who lived in Mitzrayim, if I'm correct, for a period of 124 years. The last person we know coming into Mitzrayim was Yochevet, who was born Ben Achomos, as Rashi tells us. And the next 
You'll read about it in Pasuk Tesvav. Shema Achas Shifra, that's Yochevet. Shema Shein is Pua, who's Miriam, who was born 124 years after her mother. Those are the names we know. A little bit later in the Parsha Shmos, we learn about the name Moshe. A little later about the name Aram. These three incredible luminaries are the names we know about in the, sub- in the subsequent period of time towards the end of the Shibud Mitzrayim. Chazal tell us that all three of these amazing luminaries passed away in this, within one year. We had Miriam and Nisan, Aaron and Av, and Moshe Rabbeinu and, and Adar. The young Israel of movement, the young Israel rabbinate, lost three great luminaries within the span of one month. One month. The first was Rabbi Gedaliah of Schwartz, Zatzal, who was the young Israel rabbi in Borough Park for 18 years. Rabbi Schoenfeld, Zatzal, we're discussing this evening. And Rabbi Kellemer, Zatzal, with Rabbi of young Israel of Brookline, and most of the time in Young Israel of West Hempstead. Three great, great luminaries taken from us all within the span of a month, from right before Hanukkah until a month, a month later. Let me explain to you a little bit about what Rabbi Schoenfeld himself meant. Much of it relates to the others as well. His name was Rav Mordechai Shraga ben Rav Shmuel Shapsi Halevi. That's how he was called up to the Torah when I was there all the years. And who was he? But Mordechai HaYehudi, it says he was Doresh Tov Liamo, the last pasuk in the Megillah. Rabbi Shonfeld was an outstanding darsh. Outstanding. He would speak sermons for 400 people, packed shuls when I was growing up there, packed. And he'd hold the entire audience Hold their attention. It wasn't easy. It was not a homogeneous audience. You had learned people and people who were total, totally ignorant. Ignoramuses. Amehoras. Tamine Chachamim and Amehoratsim in the same shul. And he held the attention of both, of both groups. He both, both groups. And he had content. His content, the Torah content, often came from his Rebbe of Salavachik. The Hasidic content came from the Svasemis, the Ger Rebbe. This was Rabbi Schoenfeld. I remember as a, young, as a young man, hearing a young boy, hearing his, I was 11 years old, we moved to, the, to, to town. And he had these great rushes, which held us captivated. A great man. Remarkably, by Mordechai Yehudi, in the very same Pasuk, the last Pasuk in the Megillah, it says, he was accepted by the majority of his brothers. Why only the majority? Says the Gemara Megillah, some of the members of Sanhedrin were not so excited about the career path that Mordechai had taken. What, the, what was the problem? He was so busy with Pikuach Nefesh, with saving the Jewish people, that he wasn't able to spend as much time as he would have liked in learning Torah. It was certainly true of Rav Schoenfeld, whose name was Mordechai, as it was of his two young Israel colleagues, again, who all, all passed away within that month, Rav Schwartz and Rav Kalimer, Zeichat Tzadik and Levracha. 
they were big Talmidei Chachamim, but they were involved in the pikuach nefesh of their congregants and of the community. Rabbi Schoenfeld took care of every member of his community, of his shul. Didn't matter if you were observant or not yet observant. It didn't matter one bit. And through this, it can be said about him, as we say in the Navi, the Rabbim Heishim There were many who we brought away from non-observance to observance. We know so many of them. So too many to count. That he ministered to them, took care of them in their life cycle events, both happy and sad. And as a result of his care, his love, his affection, they became from, they became observant. And the generations are impacted by his wondrous, amazing acts of kindness and concern. Later on, as the community grew, he became the rabbi's rabbi. I remember as the years went by when I was living there, more and more musmachim moved in, even rabbis who had given up their positions for various reasons. It, became, it was almost like a, uh, like a joke. Another rabbi, another rabbi, another rabbi, all moving into the community. And he was the rabbi of all the rabbis. Rabbi Schoenfeld was not someone who hid in an ivory tower. He understood, he understood politics very, very well, especially the politics of Eretz Yisrael. He was very involved in an organization which didn't have too many adherents called Pole Agudas Yisrael. Maybe you'll never heard of it. I believe his father was involved at one point in that organization. It was a very idealistic organization. never really took roots, not in Israel, not in America. Uh, it just always remained very small. It was sort of in between. It wasn't uh, whatever. We're not going to go into the politics right now. But the rabbi, because he was busy in Pekuach Nefesh, decided to open up a Talmud Torah. Many in this Zoom know and don't even know what that word means. Talmud Torah was an afternoon school for youngsters who studied in public school. And there were many, many of them. Studied in public school. Parents usually were not so observant. And they learned in the Talmud Torah to get a smattering of a Hebrew education. And how did he open it? He went to the National Council of Young Israel, which at the time was a very important organization. He repeated again. And Rabbi Sturm, who was then the head, referred him to a man named Rabbi Rushfield. And the one who did the interviews is Rabbi Rushfield's daughter. And Rabbi Rushfield was a great man. I remember him very well. And he ran this organization called the Hebrew School. So many Bali Shuvas came from there. And it helped people from my family too. It was an outstanding organization. It was Pikuach Nefesh. It was taking care of those who otherwise might not have had any education in Torah whatsoever. Who knows what would have, what would have happened to them? Well, we don't know what. I'd like to tell you, Rabbi Shomot himself said and told others that the success of the neighborhood of Kew Garden Hills was because he himself, Rabbi Schoenfeld, whenever another shul would open, instead of being afraid of competition, he would welcome them. He would, he would help them. He would not only send them Sifrei Torah, he would sometimes even send them congregants when they were just starting out. I remember, as I said, when we moved into the community to be near the young Israel of Kugan Hills. But the same month that we moved in, a Rebbe moved in. 
a big Talmud Chacham, Rabbi Magolis, opened Dagli Yisrael on Main Street. We ended up being equidistant between the two shuls. And my father liked a little bit of a more Hamish atmosphere. So we gravitated towards that shul. Rabbi Schoenfeld sent people to that shul. I think that was the first, I think it was the first shtibel to open after Rabbi Galanta's shul that was there from before. But my father would always said, you have to belong to the big shul because that's the shul where they take care of the entire community. And my father, oh, every Friday night, he'd make sure we had a David in the young Israel, no matter what. My father bought a seat there. His name still is on the back of the chair there. Someone there behind the bima. Always maintained his loyalty to, to the very end to Rabbi Schoenfeld personally to the shul collectively. And must be said on a personal level, the Levaya of my mother, Allah my father's both held in the young Israel of Kew Garden Hills, both times with the permission of Rabbi Schoenfeld and with his participation. So we had this fascinating uh, relationship, on, on a, even on a personal level, on a personal level. So the name Mordechai, as I said, was the Doresh Tov, a great speaker, a Rotsu Lerov Echov, not Lekol Echov, because he didn't spend as much time as he would have liked in Beis He was busy saving Jewish lives. But what's the other name? Shraga. What is Shraga? I was listening to an interview that Rabbi Yol Shalva gave to a radio personality. We called Rabbi Shalva a firebrand. In the, in the, uh, in the uh, interviews that were written, said that Rabbi, Rabbi Soloveitchik himself called, this is written by one of Rabbi uh, Schoenfeld's stars who grew up in the shul, that Rabbi Soloveitchik called him a fireball. I'm not going to argue with a fireball, a firebrand, but he was fiery, that's for sure. And that's what the name Shraga. Shraga means two things. Shraga means a luminary, as I said before, a candle. But Fievel, hence the name Fabian, Fievel, and later they called him Fievel as well. In my day, we only called him Mordechai Shraga. Later they added Fievel, which apparently goes back to his earliest youth. He was, uh, he was passionate. He was, he was energetic. That was his whole personality. He was so a strong personality, very, very strong personality. And he fought many battles, as his son, Rav Yol Shalita, spoke about in that interview. Many battles. You have to understand, for those who are too young to remember this, in the 50s, when I moved in, conservative was very popular, and orthodoxy was fighting a defensive battle. Before the whole growth of the yeshiva movement and the Hasidim, now the Hasidim are a majority, and the shivas are, are, are next in line. And what we call the more modern, uh, we're a small sliver. It was the opposite in the 50s. The total opposite. The more modern community was the significant majority. Hasidim were just starting out after the Holocaust. And the yeshiva was tiny. Tiny. Where Abraham Kotler passed away, the coal in Lake with a hundred and something Talmudim. Now they have 7,000. Hasidim, the Sat Rebbe came to New York. He had to get a tenth man from the calling for the street. Now they're tens of thousands. It's, the world changed. The demographics changed. Largely because the amazingly large families by the Chassidim and pretty large by the yeshivas and the matters are not so large. Whatever it is, the world has changed. It's important to understand that the world has changed dramatically since 1950, 70 years ago when Rav Schoenfeld came and the present time. 
Rav Shlomo had to fight the battle against the conservatives. And he fought that battle, even though on a personal level, he maintained a relationship with Rabbi Kirschblum, who grew up from, as I said, and his children are close, I think, to this day, because he was a gentleman. And he got this from his holy Rebbe, Rabbi Soloveitchik, that's how. Rabbi Soloveitchik also fought many, many battles against the conservatives. I remember, I used to hear the tapes from the 50s, when the Rebbe would speak by the Chagi Asmicha, and one of his, it was in Yiddish, of course, in those days. And he, <laughs> in a famous line, the Rav said, you know, today, I don't know if you can say politically correct or not, but he would say, Ich lach und ich spai of elam, as he put it. I'm afraid to translate it into English. He was very fiery in his attacks against the conservative Weltanschauung, uh, uh, as he would call it. He said, you're going to invite the conservatives to be with us? Can you he gave a comparison? You're going to invite the communists, this is in the height of the, of the Cold War, into the Republican National Convention? The world was very strong against any cooperation with non-Orthodox movements in internal matters. What he called Klape Pnim, and he printed this in the Yiddish newspapers. Klape Chutz, in external matters? You can be cooperating not only with the reformer conservative, you can cooperate even with the Christians. That's what the Rav said, and based on the Rav's guidelines, Rav Schoenfeld Zatzal involved himself in some of those activities, which we as youngsters couldn't understand. What are you talking to the Goyim for? But the Rav said, if it's for external matters, to help the state of Israel primarily, and other, we'll call it, forgive the expression, Judeo-Christian values, which have since come under siege in this country terribly. So the Rav felt if it's external, you're going to protect against anti-Semitism, for example, or anti-religious legislations, for example, Shechita, Mila, who knows what can happen, or again, State of Israel, Soviet Jewry, all these things, he felt you could cooperate with others. And Rav Shonga was a Talmud Muvak of the Rav. He was loyal to the Rav. He was loyal to the Rav to the very end. And as a loyal Talmud of the Rav, he never engaged in public character assassination of anybody. Oh yes, he would attack the Shittas, as the Rav did, but not a personality. That's how he was able to maintain a connection to the Rabbi Kershaw, even though he fought the conservative Shita tooth and nail. That's how it was. And that's how he earned the respect of everybody. Everybody, from the most Haredi to the non-Orthodox, he was he was connected to all all observances. I remember a statement he made, which was countercultural in the nineteen. It was in the late fifties or early sixties. I can't tell you when he made it. It was then when the in the modern Orthodox world, the Satmar Hasidim were considered. Oh, they were, they were anti-Zionists, etc., etc. And Rabbi Shtonville got up in front of this whole shul and said as follows. I remember it like yesterday because I was a youngster. We, he said, have much more in common with the Satmar Hasidim than we have with our friends here with Avon and the conservative shul down the block. Because we are showing Torah mitzvahs as are the Satmar Hasidim. And the conservatives are not keeping the Torah mitzvahs. That was a countercultural statement to make in the late 50s, early 60s. But he made it without any apologies. I remember it distinctly. 
Rabbi Shobel, as he writes in his interview, was one of the founders of the Vadar Bottom of Queens, which is now a such an important organization whose Ashkoch is trusted everywhere. At the time, there was no Vadar Bottom. Queens was still a, a very young community. And he gave honor to all Rabbanim, to all Rabbanim, as I told you before, many Shtiblach opened since then. Rabbi Olbaum, Shlita spoke at his Leviah, representing, I guess, the full range of, of, of shuls in the neighborhood, and he mentioned that Rabbi Schoenfeld welcomed him when he moved in, in the 1970s. Rabbi Schoenfeld gave honor to those who did what he himself did, was not the prime mover, for example, in those interviews, he was honored to Rabbi Peretz Steinberg Shlita. I remember Rabbi Steinberg when I moved in. He was single. He was a Balkare, and he was of Kugarden Hills and taught in the Hebrew school. Later, he got married, and his father, Alex, that's how I remember well, established Young Israel of Queens Valley, down, down Main Street, all the way down close to the Union Turnpike. And he gave him credit for being the prime mover with two critical institutions, the mikvah, until that time, there was a mikvah in Rabbi Galerantin's shul, which, whatever, the men and women may use it in front. The main mikvah was in Forest Hills. And the Kugana started growing and growing and growing. But there was, And he took the lead in building that mikvah, which is a wonderful mikvah till today. And something which affects all of you on the Zoom, the Eruv. When we grew up, there were no Eruvin. There were no Eruvin. In America, America basically had no Eruvin. None. In 1974, the area of Hills was established. Rabbi Shonfa was, of course, part of it. But Rabbi Steinberg was the prime mover, and he introduced Rabbi Moshe Feinstein into the equation. He wrote him a brief tshuva, dated 1974, with this area of It's not like Manhattan, which I didn't like. Da 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 And that spawned a revolution. Now, every neighborhood has an Eruv. It wasn't the way growing up. It just wasn't. And he gave full credit to Rabbi Steinberg for his primary role in these things. I want to say that everybody respected him. Everybody respected him because he fought the battles that had to be fought at the time. Shabbos, Kashrus. You know, there were things which you Some battles couldn't... You can't fight all the battles at the same time. Just And I heard it today in Rabbi Yolshofer's interview. And I, I was witness to it. In the young Israel shoes at the time, there was mixed dancing. It was mixed dancing. That's how it was. Look, I went to RJJ at the time, which is a so-called Haredi Yeshiva, and they did as they also had mixed dancing. That's how it was. And then in those days, the 50s and early, certainly early 60s, Rabbi Shofa would not tolerate it himself. So what did he do? They had dinners. And they had the first dance with a kosher dance, completely what they call Hasidic dancing. And Rabbi Shalva was a great dancer. He was the most energetic and fiery dancer. And he danced up a storm. And after that, they served dessert and they benched. And the dinner was officially over. Rabbi Shalva would leave and go home. What happened after that? That was not officially part of the dinner. That's how the Rabbi, Rabbi Schoenfeld fought that battle, and at the end of the day, they stopped it as the years went on. He had to know what kind of battles he was fighting. I want to talk, finally, about Rabbi Shomva's last name. We spoke about Mordechai. We spoke about Shraga. 
I want to speak about Halevi. Halevi is the family. As the last words say in the Megillah, V'dover shalom l'chol zara. That was Mordechai Yehudi. Dover shalom l'chol zara. I remember Rebetzin Lati Schoenfeld. I was 11 years old. She was a, a royal figure. Can't forget. Royal. To me, it was royalty. I remember we moved in in summer 58. A whole year I was able to witness her majesty, if you will. I went to camp summer 59. I came back. She was gone. <laughs> it was such a tragedy. She it was a few weeks. She passed away on Tishabov of 59. The rabbi was devastated. He has four little kids. And then the wife passed away. A tragedy. Late 1961, Rabbi Schoenfeld remarried his wonderful Redwoods and Ruth, to whom he was married for, for so many, so many years, many years more than his first wife. She passed away a few years ago. I remember visiting Rabbi Schoenfeld during the Shiva. I remember Rabbi Schoenfeld lived down 70th Road, all the way down. He sold his house to Rabbi Shulman Shalita, one of my Rabbeim, and moved into a new house with four of his own and four of hers, the Rebbe and Ruth, and they had twins together. There were now 10 kids living in a house. It was a bigger house on 153rd Street. I still remember it. And the next door neighbor was Rabbi Teigman and the Rebbe And remember, when I moved into Young Israel of Kugar Nils in 1958, listen carefully to what I'm telling you. There were a total of two women who covered their hair. Two. Rebbe and Schoenfeld and Rebbe and Teigman. That's my recollection. That was it. That was what the world was. You fought the battles you could fight. Gradually, Akshadara, the world changed. The world, in that respect, became better. Other respects became worse. That family together was incredible. Now they take care of their own 10 kids. But after a while, a little bit later, some of the kids left the house and there's a little bit more room in the house. They imported others. To, when the Iranian Women came, the young women, they, they, they housed them. I spoke to, to the rabbi's youngest daughter today. She remembers that in her high school years, there were Iranian girls who had nowhere to go. And they were living in the Schoenfeld's house. And some of them maintained their connections throughout, and they're writing letters now of tribute to the rabbi and to the, to, to the late Rebetzin. Amazing chasana were done in that, in that home. Amazing. Incredible. I want to speak about some family reminiscences that I have personally. I've spoken about this before. I remember when Haraviol Schoenfeld was bar mitzvah. I was there, a few years older than him. It was not long after that, uh, my youth Shabbos Russia that I gave in 1963. I think this was maybe 65. And the guest speaker, the guest rabbi speaker was none other than Lord Jacobowitz. It was before he was a lord. But he was a choshev atamat chacham. And you understand he's an uncle. And his sister, Rebbe Lati, had passed away already in 59. This is some six years later or so. And he speaks in Shabbos that morning about the Rashi. Shemesh v'yareach v'achadas o'kochavim mishtachvimli. 
And Rashi comments, what Yerech? Rachel Yimeinu had died. And Rashi said it refers to Bilha, because Bilha raised those children. And he gave tribute to Rebbe's and Ruth Schoenfeld for raising the children of his late sister. That was the Russia that he gave it. I'll never forget that Russia that was given at that, bar, at, that, at that bar mitzvah. I remember, as years went on, the next year, 66, I went off to Karen Biyavne. I came back. And the rabbi encouraged me in my learning. I remember a year later, I believe it was, that his, his daughter, Vicky, who was my contemporary, was already engaged to a, a young Talmud Chacham, Rabbi Berglas Shlita, and he brought his, his future son-in-law and myself to a chalitza, the Rabbi Pekarsky Shlita in Forest Hills. Whole discussion, can they, can they still be on this no suffering two extra day on him uh, because he wasn't, they weren't married yet and, and Polakowski said yes and I remember at, I was attending at, at when Vicky got married and I couldn't understand what's going on I just didn't understand it the rabbi and the rebbeson were so close and the collar was so close to both of them and I'm watching the wedding and I see the rabbi and the rebbeson are marching down together themselves without the collar and then the collar comes down with her older sister, Aviva, who I think was my babysitter, and her, her husband. And they're marching down with the Kala. I just couldn't understand for the life of me what in the world is going on over here. Until later I found out that in the Gerach Hasidim, and maybe others as well, the Shushvinim, the ones who marched down, can only be a Zivagrisha, a couple that was married to each other for the first time, which of course was Aviva and her husband, they should live and be well for many years and stay, be happily married. Whereas the rabbi and Rebetzin was both the second because they both had been widowed. I couldn't understand it. This was the rabbi's gerer roots. Gerer roots. He never lost them. He never lost them. Amazing. I remember when I became a Rav, as the rabbi had predicted, this is already now uh, <laughs> this is now 11 years after my, my maiden Russia and, uh, in the realm of Kugan Hills as the youth rabbi, I began giving drushes for real somehow in the young Israel of Riverdale. And I, we happened to be in a car together with Rabbi Schoenfeld, who was being driven by Rabbi Holzer. Rabbi Manny Holzer was Rabbi Schoenfeld's sidekick who moved into the community, lived around the corner from, 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 from where I lived. They were very, very tight, very, very, very close. Exactly, and Kasherus, and very, very close. And Rabbi Holzer was driving. The Rav was sitting in the front. Rabbi Shonfeld and my wife, myself, were sitting in the back. Rabbi Shonfeld leads over to the Rav and says, you know, that uh, he points to me that I just became a rabbi in a shul. You know, the, the Rav knew. He said, don't you think you should join the RCA, Rabbinical Council of America? Uh, Rabbi Schoenfeld was active in that organization. I didn't have plans to join that organization. Uh, some wags said that Rabbi Schoenfeld was, wanted me to vote for him for president, which he was, he was voting without my vote uh, that year. And the Rav said, yes, he should join the RCA, which I did. And I guess thanks to Rabbi Schoenfeld, I've been active in the RCA in various roles in the best and other things since that time. So we had an ongoing relationship. Earlier when I got married, Rabbi Shovel, of course, came to the wedding, 
the Rav was the Masada Kedushim, but the Rav didn't come on time. So Rabbi Schoenfeld was the Masada the Tanoim before, uh, before, I, before the, Rav, the Rav walked in. But he kept coming. I would never ask after I moved out of the community. I would never ask the Rabbi Schoenfeld to come to these events, but he heard about it. He came anyway. I remember he came to my son Yehuda's wrist. Heldon, why are you? I didn't ask my father. I guess I told him he came. So after Yehuda was named, he looks at me and says, just playing Yehuda? Not Yehuda Aryeh? I realized he's coming from the Gera Mishpacha. He has a son, Yehuda Aryeh. He has a son, Yitzchak Meir. He was a real Gera. This was Rabbi Schoenfeld. He was an incredible, incredible individual. As Rabbi Yoel pointed out in this interview, he was respected by the Hasidim, by his brother-in-law, the Rebbe's and Ruth's brother, was a, a Baron a Rebbe. He got along with the Gera Rebbe's. He was himself a, a, a Gera Hasid, as we said. And yet, the significant majority of his descendants who live in the Holy Land are wearers of kippah sugah, knitted yarmulkes. You can wear a streimel and white socks. You can wear a knitted yarmulke, and all fit in together. This is a Mordechai Shraga Halevi. Halevi. Yilaveh. Everyone gets together. The last two times I saw Rabbi Schoenfeld, because he was ailing, and I saw him at the Shiva for, for the Rebetzin, but I saw him at two weddings. The first wedding was my Talmud, Nisan Holzer, Talmud of mine, and I wanted to give Rabbi Schoenfeld all the kibbutzim. Here he is, he came. It was so hard for him to come. But he was so close with, 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 with Rabbi Holzer. Uh, I wanted to it, and Rabbi Yol is a witness to this, that I tried, but uh, Mrs. Holzer, I think, was afraid it would be too strenuous. And she, she prevented me from giving him any uh, the honors that I wanted to give him. But the last time I think I saw him was when his granddaughter got married to a young man from Riverdale, his family I know, and I was there. And there I was able to assist in Rabbi Shonzo being the Masada Kiddushin he could hardly move. He just came out of the hospital. He was in a wheelchair, <coughs> able to bring the cup to him. He should be the Masada Kedushin. What a great man with such incredible memories. I'll end with the following. After he passed away, I was told by a family member, mind-boggling, I'm trying not to cry when I say over the story. Rabbi Schoenfeld, because he was blessed with two wonderful rabbits, two wonderful wives, two wonderful marriages. He just didn't know what to do after 120. How could he be buried next to wife A, wife B? It would be an insult to the, to the other one somehow. And therefore he made a decision to be buried near neither of them, but to be buried by himself in Eretz Yisrael. I believe both wives are buried here in America. I was thinking, mind-boggling. Halevi, Ishi He wouldn't want to be separated from one or the other. So that was the only choice that he had. This was the great Rabbi Schoenfeld, Harav Mordechai Shraga Halevi. You think about it, Mordechai Shraga Halevi is Rosh Tevis Moshe. Moshe was the great, ultimate Jewish leader. For many, he grew up in Yangus of Kugan Hills. Rabbi Schoenfeld was known as the rabbi. There was no other rabbi. It's not like today. 
In those days, whether you were a grown-up or a youngster, there was no other rabbi. Today, almost everybody has a Rosh Hashiva, a, a rabbi from seminary, whatever it is, who, have, have a, who, who exert great influence. In those days, it was the rabbi. Rabbi Shem was the rabbi. And what he said was the final word. You didn't question it. You didn't go forum shopping to other shuls or other, other, other yeshiva. He was the rabbi. And for me personally, he was a role model, as he was for so, so many others who grew up in his shul. And if I'm trying to give you a bit of a picture of the rabbi in conjunction with his shul, it's because I saw even in the, in the shloshim, which I, of course, watched uh, when, it, when it took place, there was almost nothing about the shul itself. It was about his other critical involvements, absolutely critical in the Jewish world and beyond, which I'm not taking away from. But I felt it's important for those on this Zoom who probably didn't know about that part of the community and his involvement and what orthodoxy looked like back in the 50s and 60s. So important to appreciate what this great rabbi was for me personally and for so many others. A leader who was devoted, who was energetic and passionate and fiery, who had so much hashpah locally and globally, who was a gentleman, a Talmud Chacham with general knowledge and most important, a tremendous, incredible family man. May the holy Nishama of Rav Mordechai Shraga, or later known as Shraga Feivel, Ben Shmuel Shapsi Halevi, Bitzrura, Bitzrura Chaim, Amen, Amen.